Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Bar. The Bar on Healthcare is a podcast produced by the Aon Health Solutions Group, focusing on developments in federal and state healthcare law and their impact on employer group health plans. I'm J.D. Puro of the Legal Consulting Group. And hi, everyone. I'm Carrie Willis, also with the Legal Consulting Group. The Bar on Healthcare is available on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Just search for The Bar on Healthcare, subscribe, tell your friends, and please leave us a kind review. And J.D., the bar is open. Come right in. Your table is ready. We're glad you're with us. Happy to rescue you from the last few days of winter 2021. And speaking of rescues, how did you like that transition, Kerry? Pretty smooth, right? Uh, the American Rescue Plan, the first major legislative initiative of the Biden administration, has passed both houses of Congress. And as we sit here at the bar today, we understand it is awaiting President Biden's signature and probably going to be within the next hour, at least according to uh, Press Secretary's latest tweet. So we thought we'd get a jump on Health Law's version of March Madness and give you all a look at the changes we expect to see in the healthcare arena once this bill passes and passes the, well, it's already passed, and once this bill becomes law. Kerry, can you give our listeners an overview of what the ARP holds in store for employers? Sure. So, you know, most of the media attention around the American Rescue Plan has been on the extension of unemployment insurance and direct payments to individuals and families, but we're obviously going to focus on the few provisions that impact employer group health plans. And the first of those has to do with subsidies for COBRA coverage. So under the American Rescue Plan, the federal government will provide subsidies of 100% of the cost of COBRA coverage for individuals who elect it for a temporary period of time. So that temporary period of time is essentially from April 1st of this year through September 30th of this year. Keep in mind that the subsidies aren't going to be available to everyone who's eligible for COBRA. It's only available to those who have a qualifying event due to a termination of employment or a reduction in hours. It is not going to be available if someone voluntarily terminated employment. So Carrie, this is the first time I can think of that, you know, really creates different categories of qualified beneficiaries, even within the categories of qualified beneficiaries that we already have. So this is going to require, I think, different types of notices to people who undergo that involuntary termination of employment or reduction in hours, isn't it? It is. And we're going to talk more about the notice requirements in a minute. The other thing that I think is sort of interesting about this is there's a little bit of a nuance here. So the provision of the American Rescue Plan that talks about who's eligible for these subsidies references a provision in COBRA that relates to a qualifying event for a termination of employment or a reduction in hours. So it appears that someone would be eligible for the subsidized coverage if they had an involuntary reduction in hours. What's not clear is if they would be eligible for the subsidy if they had a voluntary reduction in hours. You don't get it if you voluntarily terminate, but the bill language is silent on what happens if you have a voluntary reduction in hours. Well, I, th- I think most of our situations, you know, where you have a termination of employment, you, you can have that involuntary termination of employment versus a voluntary, you know, you can't fire me, I quit type of thing. But really, can you have a voluntary reduction of hours? I guess there might be some industries that would have that. What would be some of those that might have a voluntary reduction in hours? Yeah, so that might come into play if you had industries where employees work on a per diem basis. So for example, caregivers and hospitals, or if there's some 
provisions of a collective bargaining agreement. So I think those are the types of situations that this might come into play. But to your point, maybe in practice, it's not as widespread. It won't be as much of a issue as it appears on its face. Well, with hospital workers, though, I mean, just given everything that's gone on the past year, I, I would think this would be something that we'd probably need some guidance from the IRS fairly quickly as to exactly what type of reduction in hours could possibly qualify or not qualify for this type of arrangement. Yeah, I think that's right. The language in the bill also says that you will not be an assistance eligible individual and essentially can't get the subsidy if you are eligible for other group health coverage, you know, other comprehensive group health coverage, not accepted benefits, not just an an FSA. But if you have access to coverage through a spouse's employer, for example, or a parent's plan, if you're under age 26, then you wouldn't be eligible for the subsidy. You also wouldn't be eligible for it if you were also eligible for Medicare. So there are a few carve-outs there in terms of who can and can't get this subsidy. Would there be, though, a situation, what about people who terminated prior to the enactment of the bill? What about a situation like that? Yeah, so the bill addresses that. Essentially, if someone was eligible for COBRA and they did not elect the coverage when it was originally offered, or if they elected the coverage but then discontinued it for some reason prior to the time that this bill is enacted, then they essentially get another bite at the apple. Employers have to notify these individuals that they can now elect COBRA during the subsidy period. And these individuals would have 60 days to elect this coverage starting from April 1st. Now, this doesn't give them an extended period of COBRA. The coverage would still terminate on the date it otherwise would have ended if they had initially elected the coverage or if had not discontinued it. But they can elect it starting from April 1st and then get the subsidy for the period of time until their COBRA coverage would have otherwise expired or until the subsidy ends at the end of September. So let's take somebody who was terminated from employment back in January. All of the things being equal, if that person doesn't have health care coverage now, that person would be notified by the employer that, you know, hey, you've got an opportunity to elect coverage for April 1 through September 30. And that person could get six months of free coverage. Am I following that correctly? Yeah, but I don't think it would be till September 30th, right? Because if they were initially eligible in January, their full 18 months would be what, like June, if I'm doing that math correctly. So if you're doing January 2020, if you terminated January 2020, you'd be up in June. If you terminated January 2021, you could still get at least those six months of coverage for that situation. Correct. But your coverage wouldn't start until April 1st. But you also have to factor in what you said before, that even if this person, all of the things being equal, this person terminated January 2021, let's say that that person's eligible for health care coverage from another employer or can get health care coverage from the spouse's plan. That person you're saying would not be eligible for this free coverage. Correct, because they would not be a subsidy eligible individual under the definitional terms and the legislative language. So although all of these people might, you know, there are going to be different levels of eligibility for this coverage, but when it comes to what the employer is doing here, they still have to send out the notice and maybe even the notice has to describe 
all those situations. I mean, this is going to be a fairly complicated notice to write. I mean, are we getting any help from the government in terms of what they want employers to tell their employees? Yeah. So there are actually a couple of different new notice requirements. So the first one is sort of an addition to the an existing notice requirement. So obviously employees have to get a notice when they have a qualifying event. That notice will now have to include language about the fact that this premium subsidy is available. And then for that population we were just talking about that may have another chance to elect COBRA as of April 1st, they also have to get a notice telling them that they have this opportunity and the time period in which they have to elect. And then there's a notice that when the premium assistance is about to expire, employers or or plan administrators have to notify qualified beneficiaries of that expiration of the subsidy as well. But you're right, the government is going to provide some model notices. They have 30 days to provide one of the model notices and 45 days to provide another one. So there will be some assistance, but definitely going to be a bit of an administrative challenge for employers to have to work through with their COBRA administrators to the extent they have a COBRA administrator. And it's not that I've, I've had too many rounds here at the bar today, but I, I counted, am I correct? I counted three notices that have to be sent out by employers in, in this situation, or is it only two? Well, it's two new notices and then existing language into a notice that employers already have to provide. So I'm counting two new notices plus the additional language to an existing notice. So that's two and a half. Okay, I was close. I was close. You don't have to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also notice that employees or qualified beneficiaries have to give. So if they become eligible for Medicare or other employer-sponsored coverage and are no longer eligible for the subsidies, they have to provide a notice to the plan administrator letting them know they're no longer eligible for these subsidies. And there's actually a penalty that appears to go along with that. So if somebody doesn't do it, there's a $250 penalty. So that's kind of an interesting piece too, because we haven't really seen that type of a penalty on the qualified beneficiary in COBRA requirements before. I noticed the other patrons of the bar are ordering another round, just listening to all the notices that have to be sent out and all the possible penalties if they don't send them out correctly. Are we getting any contemporary guidance on this or is this something that the IRS will issue around 4th of July or something like that? Yeah, so the statutory, well, I guess it's not a statute yet, but the bill language says that the IRS and the DOL and HHS can put out regulations and additional guidance. So we may get some additional guidance on these provisions. But as I said before, there is a direct requirement to put out model notices. So that we will see for sure. COBRA is still with us, even with the ACA, COBRA is still with us. The HIPAA certificates are gone, but we still have the COBRA issues, even 10 years into the ACA. Yes, we do. For various reasons that we could do a whole other bar episode on at some point in the future. But the COBRA subsidy was not the only provision of the bill that could potentially impact employer plans. There were other provisions as well. And that was also with the ACA, which I think if I'm recalling correctly, and we had discussed this before we came in, if I'm recalling correctly, the American Rescue Plan contains the biggest changes to the Affordable Care Act since the ACA became law back in 2010. I mean, you had the repeal of the Cadillac tax. 
you had zeroing out the individual mandate penalty. But since then, I don't think we've had any other ACA legislation. And the reason for that, of course, is, you know, if I'm calling correctly, I mean, since 2010, we've had a Republican Congress. So we've had divided government until at least 2018. And then you had a divided, again, divided government with a presidency, Democrats in control of both Congress, I mean, albeit by small margins, in control of Congress and in control of the White House. So that really creates, I guess, the fertile ground for more ACA legislation. So Carrie, what did they do with the ACA? Yeah, so the American Rescue Plan expands subsidies for people to buy coverage in the exchanges. So the way that the exchange subsidies had worked up until now is that subsidies were capped at 400% of the federal poverty level. So if your income was more than 400% of the federal poverty level, you were not eligible for subsidies in the exchange. The American Rescue Plan changes that, at least on a temporary basis, and would allow for subsidies, A, for those who have incomes above 400% of FPL, and it would also limit the cost of coverage to 8.5% of income. So your subsidy really would vary based on your income, making sure that nobody paid more than 8.5% in premiums for coverage on the exchange. And that previous amount had been, I think it was 9.5, and then with the indexed amount, I think maybe it was up to 9.81. Don't quote me on those indexed amounts. But the bottom line is now more people will be eligible for subsidies on the exchange and they will pay less in their income amount for the cost of coverage on the exchanges. But as I said before, this is only temporary. It's only for 2021 and 2022. If these provisions sound familiar to you, it's because President Biden talked about them on the campaign trail. So I think it's something that the president would like to see done permanently. But as of now, it is only a temporary increase in the subsidies for two years. Well, it's been said that there's nothing more permanent in life than a temporary government program. So it's perfectly possible that this is, in fact, more than possible. It's likely this is going to become an issue in the 2022 election. But, you know, you raise an interesting point here because for many years, I mean, particularly with when Republicans held both houses of Congress, even when they held both the presidency and the Congress, there was a a lot of discussion, we've addressed this on the bar before, about attempts to repeal the employer exclusion for medical care or to try to reduce the employer exclusion for medical care up above a certain level. But now it seems that these changes here, it's almost the reverse. I remember when the ACA was passed, a lot of economists looked at the question of, well, at what point does it become more tax effective to take coverage from the exchange versus coverage from your employer? At what point are you able to get more tax effective use of the dollars there? Now with uncapping the subsidy. They've almost created a situation, I'm not sure whether this was deliberate on anyone's part, but where you maybe have more of an equalization, I'm not saying the two are equivalent, between buying your coverage in the exchange and getting the subsidy or buying your coverage from your employer. So this could set up a situation where down the road, maybe we're looking at kind of individualizing the coverage of healthcare by allowing it through the exchange and subsidizing coverage from an insurance policy uh, through the government direct payments rather than through the exclusion of income. This is something that I think, and particularly as, as we talk about the individual coverage HRAs and, and the opportunity for employers to leverage this, the exchanges seem to be 
moving to the point where they are more self-sustaining, where the premiums are beginning to stabilize. Maybe the risk pools are going to improve with these subsidies. So there might be a case here for maybe a kind of healthcare reform down the road that we're not even anticipating at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. The other thing I would say in the short term is we really have to watch what this increase in the subsidies does for the employer mandate. So there doesn't appear to be any direct impact in this language, but as our listeners will recall, if you are an employer that does not offer coverage to your full-time employees or you don't offer affordable minimum value coverage to your full-time employees, you are potentially subject to penalties. And those penalties are triggered by someone going to the exchange and getting a subsidy. So with more people being eligible for a subsidy in the exchange, there's a greater risk that those penalties could be triggered if you are an employer who is doing one of those things. So I think that's something we're going to have to continue to watch as all of these things get implemented and as we see how many people take advantage of these increased subsidies in the exchanges. Well, these seem to be, although it's not the focus of the American Rescue Plan, certainly seems to be two very important developments for employer-provided health care. What else in the American Rescue Plan should employers be looking at from a healthcare and welfare law point of view? Yeah, so, and I think this will be good news for employers who want to take advantage of it. The American Rescue Plan also increase the exclusion for employer-provided dependent care benefits to $10,500 for this year from $5,000. I mean, it has been $5,000 for as long as I can remember. But as I said, this increase is temporary, essentially only for 2021. I think technically it says tax years after December 31st, 2020 and before January 1st, 2022. So that amount will be increased. And, And that presumably was done to let employers take advantage of the flexibility around dependent care FSA rollovers and grace periods. So that will give employers a little bit of breathing room on that exclusion. And plan sponsors do have to amend their plans if they're going to take advantage of this, but they have until the end of 2021 to make those retroactive amendments to their cafeteria plans or their dependent care spending account plans back to the beginning of 2021. Now, now, the increase to $10,500 is certainly going to be welcome given the increasing need for dependent care you know, in the, in the midst of the pandemic, even as we vaccinate the population. But I guess the question becomes, what's the impact on non-discrimination testing? If you've got an increase, a little more than doubling the amount that can be contributed, I mean, there's always the prospect that highly compensated employees are going to be the ones that make those contributions. And that could certainly end up causing you to fail the average benefits test. It's something that I think you know employers are going to have to look at carefully as they do this testing during the year and as they open up the enrollment to allow people to increase their contributions. Yeah, no, I think that's something to watch. I mean, you know, I usually defer non-discrimination testing questions to our team and the experts here who work on those. But I do think that's a concern, especially if you are an employer who has not passed non-discrimination testing for your dependent care assistance plan in the past. I think you're just going to want to take a look at that and decide if you want to implement this increased amount and and who you think might utilize that if you do. Wow. Some pretty big developments for employers and certainly a lot of administrative issues coming up in the next few months as a result of the American Rescue Plan. So let's go to something a little lighter here. Last call. Patrons of the bar know full well that Carrie and I have long been at odds over the eternal question of which is better 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC Comics Cinematic Universe. And it's no secret that Carrie and the MCU have been winning that battle hands down over the past few years. But on March 18th, the DC Extended Universe strikes back. Zack Snyder's re-edit of Justice League, which came out in 2017 to a huge critical hammering, will premiere on HBO Max with new footage edited in by director Zack Snyder creating a four-hour epic starring DC's cavalcade of heroes led by Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Now here at the bar... We know the real heroes this past year have been the frontline healthcare workers who have been battling this pandemic. But every once in a while, it's nice to just sit back, relax, and watch the movie heroes save the world. Yeah, and I'm just going to make two points to that. One, I think you have taken this battle between us around the MCU and DC more seriously than I have. Hey, I take my comic books very seriously here, okay? Really, I take I, I take that very seriously. And in terms of the MCU, I will just put in a plug for WandaVision. It's a great series, super creative. If you like the MCU, I, I think you'll enjoy this, and it's really good. But to your bigger point, JD, you know, thank you to all of our healthcare workers who have been on the front lines during the pandemic. I think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and we are all very grateful for that. Indeed we are. That's our report for today. We'd like to thank our producer, Claire Myatt. For all of us here at Aon, I'm J.D. Pirro. And I'm Carrie Willis. Thanking you for your time this time and until next time, the bar is closed. <laughs>